0: Hello and welcome back to our latest installment of Eye for an Eye. We are your hosts, Julia, Lisa, and Matt, and we are here to determine whether the punishment or lack thereof fits the crime. Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. We are back with another Rip Snorton good episode for you. <laughs>
1: Rip Snorton. That's something I've never heard before. He's just...
0: Come on, man. I had to be excited. We got Nairo back, man. Nairo's here. Baby and Dude, This is like when LeBron came back to Cleveland, bro. This feels like something new. Something's about to happen here. This is about to be a really good part two of this case.
2: Y'all are to be witnesses to this second part. I'm very excited to get even more into this case.
0: We are all witnesses, bro. And the Menendez brothers really are the true so Let's get back to where we got started from. Leslie Abramson became a star during this trial because she was actually known for a bit of a flair of the dramatic. She had Lyle testify at his own trial and give very graphic testimony of the ways they were abused by their parents. Now, that obviously is up to interpretation. But years later, a cousin Of the menendez brothers told abc news that she believed his story because he told her similar things when he was a child they actually flash back to their family and say this wasn't the first time this was mentioned they just kept it under wraps and only the family knew about it or only certain members of the family and
3: i'm sure because that is a huge 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 accusation uh, thing to say especially for a well-to-do family that's affluent in the community
0: And for a small child to insinuate something like that, that's obviously terrifying, but um, to me, it means that if there was multiple notices of it, it must mean that there's some validity to at least part of it. The defense took to attacking Kitty as a husk of a woman, an alcoholic, drug addict, broken wife, and useless mother who was devastated by Jose's numerous affairs, supposedly and the way that he kind of treated their family as his punching bag. He was over abusive, domineering, kind of ran it as a general and didn't really have any thought for his family's feelings in mind, just wanted success from them. Obviously, there's a lot going on. This is graphic testimony. It was such a media-fueled extravaganza, too, that the jury pool was believed to have been tainted. The jury in the first trial was overwhelmed with new evidence and details of the story that seemed to emerge literally daily. I mean, something new would come out. Some person who knew them would give a statement to the papers and that would come out. The first trial actually lasted for four and a half months, which is long by any standard. And then remind you, there was a two-year delay to figure out admissibility on those tapes. Then there's another five months of trial that led to two hung juries, one for each brother. And what a hung jury is, is a jury unable to agree on whether they were guilty or acting in their own self-defense. They acknowledged that they did it, but they couldn't say whether or not they should be held responsible. That's an automatic mistrial. And it was declared basically immediately after that, that there would be a second trial that would that they would be retried. A couple of things changed at that second trial. Dr. O'Zeal's spurned lover, Smith, Judy Smith who had initially been the one that, again, released the tapes of the confession from Eric and testified for the prosecution as their origin the first time around, actually this time switched and testified for the defense. She claimed that Dr. Oziel had coerced Eric into testifying those things about their parents and all that abuse and that everything that had led up to it had been the real reason that he had been driven to just confess, just to get it off his mind. That's probably the craziest thing that happened at the second trial. There were a few things that got changed up. Namely, they took the cameras out of the courtroom the second time around. They said no more of this publicity. It was not nearly as much of a media fanfare since cameras weren't allowed to be in there. They couldn't get momentary updates. People weren't watching the trial play out brick by brick. The defense tried to bring back some of the same tactics they had in the first trial saying the boys had been driven to near madness due to years of abusive behavior from their parents. This time around, though, it was much more straightforward. The jury had already heard a lot of this. You believe, you know, in that era where everybody's paying attention to the news, the jury pool had at least some knowledge of the case, or they probably had some inclinations, even if they said during Wadir that they didn't. You assume they probably heard about it. The jury didn't believe the claims of abuse despite the veracity being backed up by the cousin and by a couple other people in their family who claimed to have either witnessed or heard about some of the abuse. And while we may never know if the actual description was accurate, it's safe to say it did not work for Eric and Lyle in their defense at trial number two. Nobody really bought that story, I think, at that point. that it, it was pretty far down the line. They'd had the tape confessions, they'd heard all the stories of abuse, In 1996, after two trials, a case that played out over five years in the media and in the courtroom, both Lyle and Eric Menendez were convicted of first-degree murders of their parents in 1996. They were sentenced to life without parole. They were actually sent to live in separate prisons until 2018, when they were reunited in the same prison to serve the rest of their sentences. So, you know, I guess there's one shining moment out of this whole thing there's brotherly love that still sticks around for these two weird fuckers and you know what it actually didn't turn out all bad for them either we talked a little bit about the fanfare that still exists for these guys because they were quote unquote hot and they were kind of a level of attraction for people who were you know into that sort of thing where they're yeah it's a little bit of a bad boy thing people actually really devoted themselves to them both brothers, who were, again, in their early 20s at the time of the murder, gained a bit of a cult following and had a suspiciously large group of fans who proclaimed their innocence, some of whom were willing to profess their love for now convicted killers. As Nairo was saying, that's a little, a little fucking weird. Get this, guys. We're talking about this weird obsession that some people have with, you know, Manson and Ted Bundy got married in prison after he was arrested and convicted for the murder of literally multiple women. Murders of multiple women. Lyle and Eric both have gotten married in prison as well. Not to fellow inmates, not to the dudes that they were made
2: bitches by, but to women on the outside. Can we talk about I've been going on dates for years? I can't get a wife. Yeah. But we have two convicted murderers that are in jail. In jail. Marrying someone named Tammy, Sammy, Joe, whatever. It's bullshit.
1: All you have to do is commit some crimes, and then you'll get a, a wife.
2: Julia, I feel like I've tried a, a lot of different types of things. <laughs> I'm not doing anything right. <laughs> I've, I've definitely committed some crimes.
0: I've not killed any.
3: Hey, Naira, have you tried writeaprisoner.com?
0: I don't know, I'm more of a clean cut person myself, but hey. The fact that you know that exists just makes me really concerned. But it's fine. We'll talk about that later. Write dot com. I want I wanna get on this site. I wanna start sending
3: Honestly, that. it could be it could be good for our show. It's
2: fan fiction. People writing fan fiction.
0: Person pulls up at your house and murders you in the middle of the night. No, it's
3: literally to be a pen pal with a prisoner.
2: You gotta put your address on.
3: Naira's like I'm considering
2: it. <laughs> See, I'm not. I'm not personally considering, but that is something Matt would do a million percent. No question.
3: No strings yeah. attached it would be a great way to have a a little wifey in in the county jail.
0: Yeah, that kind of misses the one of the main things about a relationship. I would actually want, which is emotional connectivity, but anyways you can have sex in the trailer out back i know there's conjugal visits bro i'm making a joke eric married his pen pal tammy sockman in 1999 look hey if you're if you're actively looking apparently that might work lyle actually found two women willing to marry him while he was in jail one of whom anna erickson was a former model who divorced him after a year when she found out he'd been writing to other women. (laughs) And then, for real, yo, this is nuts. Me and the are sitting over here, dumbfounded. What? And then Rebecca Sneed, a journalist whom he married in 2003. They will spend the rest of their lives in prison, but at least they know someone on the outside will always be funding the commissary lucky
2: (laughs) i love how that was something that threw her off not that you know he killed both of his parents and was a sociopath and shit oh but no she's been writing other women from fucking jail
0: yeah that was what really set her over the edge she was listen kill whoever you want okay lie about it fucking steal their money spend it but i swear to god if you're talking to other
2: bitches it is over for us It's over. That's not much different than real life, dude. If you're talking to other girls, it's over. I will. You know what? I'm going to plead. I've been caught a few times. I'm going to plead the fifth
0: on this one. I don't want to. I don't want to incriminate myself. I'm going to get to the questions. We got some seriously jarring, intriguing questions right now. I'm just kidding. They're pretty standard, but let's go into it. Do we believe Eric and Lyle suffered abuse at the hands of their parents? And do we believe, if we do, that it was enough of a mitigating factor to defer
2: their guilt?
1: I think it's likely that they at least suffered from emotional abuse. I mean, you see it in TV and movies all the time. A very well-to-do, affluent family puts a lot of pressure on their children. And I remember that being an, an element in the FX show. At least of emotional abuse. But there are plenty of people who are abused and don't kill their parents. I don't think in the second part of that question, I don't think the abuse means they're not guilty.
2: I definitely believe that Eric and Lyle suffered abuse of some sort of capacity at their parents. I think that there, there was too many issues for both Kitty and Jose for them not to be abusing their children and some type of form whether it was physical or psychological i think it was probably some sort of combination um, of the two do i believe if it was enough of a mitigating factor that their trial basically took five years and it took forever for them to come to a decision i personally don't believe it is i i still i think that they i mean they very clearly killed their parents they admitted to it there was plenty of evidence i don't think that anything else really matters at that point. I think that they're guilty and that's pretty much that.
3: As far as this question goes, do we believe Eric and Lyle suffered abuse at the hands of the parents? Yes. I do believe that there was abuse somewhere, somehow. And I think I kind of alluded to it earlier where We're used to seeing in cases like this where when people talk about the victims, they only have nice things to say. But earlier, Matt riddled off 800 different adjectives people used to describe the Menendez's father, Jose, and none of them were good. None of them are things that I would aspire to want to be described as. It sounded to me personally that he was a pretty scary man. And the pressure he put on his kids to be the best, do the best, whatever is something a lot of parents do, I'm sure. But it's a lot of pressure, especially when you have the money hanging over their head and you have that influence and that affluence. Do I believe that it would defer their guilt? Now, this is a huge piece of the puzzle because a lot of people currently are petitioning to get the Menendez brothers out of jail because they believe these were two abused kids who just finally couldn't take the abuse anymore and snapped. And they believe that this was not necessarily self-defense, but whatever would be right under that, right? Because no one believes that they were being physically attacked when this took place. It looked from all of the evidence that it was pretty much they were ambushed. I believe they were watching a movie actually when they were attacked. But in any case, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm of the mindset pretty hardcore that if you are actively being attacked or you're being held hostage or something, that would be the only way I would understand and maybe even agree with someone taking matters into their own hands. If you escaped and you were a prisoner and you shot your captor, I, that would make sense to me. But at the time that this happened, both of the boys were adults, right? In my mind, they killed their parents because of the rage and stuff they had towards them. I think that was legitimate. But I think the reason they deferred to violence rather than just being adults on their own was partly the privilege and money and all of that. Because I don't think these two had much on their own. And I think they knew that. And they, they didn't want to live any lifestyle different than what they had known. I think they took it to murder. And I, but I know, I don't think to make a long, long answer shorter, I don't think it was enough of a mitigating factor to defer their guilt. I think if when they were little and one, and their, one of their parents was abusing them or something, and they got a gun and, and did something, maybe that would be a little bit more understandable. But as if they were adults, they could have ran away, been gone. But then again, it's also, you don't know the influence they have. Maybe they, the Menendez parents knew people who could track them down and find them, who knows? But no, I don't believe that's enough of a mitigating factor to defer the guilt of them killing their parents, especially in such a brutal way.
2: I think
0: that is honestly one of the consistently across the board best answers I've received for any of my questions ever. That was awesome from all three of you guys.
3: What do you think, Matt?
0: You know, it's, I, I, I weighed on this a lot because there's many factors of you know, how you can tell when somebody was abused or what it is that leads people to do the things they do. And I do think there was some abuse that took place, both physical and emotional, especially. I think based on the descriptions of Jose, it seems unlikely that he was super dad at home and then was like an asshole at work to everybody else. I'm assuming he was probably an asshole at work and probably more of an asshole at home. And then Kitty, I mean, it's kind of hard to hide alcoholism and drug addiction and depression. It's like, if you got it, you got it. I do think that probably these boys experienced some serious issues at home for a while. But do I consider that a mitigating factor? I guess you have to, you almost have to take it into account, but I don't think it should be used as an excuse. And I don't think it can outweigh the fact that they literally fired 12 shotgun rounds into two people. Like,
3: It's really interesting too, because right now, like I was saying earlier, there are active current petitions going on to free both of the Menendez brothers for the people that believe that they were abused. And I pulled two of them up from change.org just out of pure curiosity. And the one is called Appeal for Menendez Brothers. It has 293,000 signatures. And it basically just goes into about that no one is considering that they were sexually abused as children. And that the mistrial was the truth and things like that. And then the other one is called... Free the Menendez brothers, and it's out of fifteen thousand. Eleven thousand have signed it. A lot of these people say they only recognize their action of murder, not accounting for the abuse and suffering that led them to that point. This was an injustice, but not over. Let's undo the terrible wrong done to the Menendez brothers and make sure that abuse this never is tolerated again anywhere. I just wanted to point that out because those are active petitions. I,
0: I just want to say if this case, if this episode gets 15 million rates, reviews, and subscriptions, I will personally break the Menendez brothers out of jail, okay? So all you people, you 300,000 people who think that they need, we need all of y'all to band together, get this pumped up way out there, and I will personally see to it that these motherfuckers not spend another day in jail, all right?
1: That's the, the newest free the Menendez brothers. <laughs> yeah. of 30, brother.
0: million. Uh, you know what? I'll drive there myself. 15 million i'll drive there myself i will straight up drive through the gates i will break them out i will laundry fucking pile in a cake bro like we'll do andy dufresne crawl through the river of shit. 15 million i'm
2: getting them out all right i'm getting them lisa I'm telling you bro i just don't understand what the obsession is with people that are not in jail or not committing crimes getting these people freed when they clearly committed these crimes and should not be amongst the public. I just don't understand. Give us a rate, review, subscribe,
0: send posts, share to somebody. Hit the Patreon. Lisa already described. i for iPod. We love it. We need Nairo back. All right. Question two. Should testimony of a therapist, even if the doctor-patient privilege is brought into question, ever be considered? at the trial of a defendant. What do we think, guys? Confidential exchanges between a patient and their therapist. Should it be admitted?
1: Think, I think yes, and I truly thought that if you confess to harming yourself or others that you could breach doctor-patient privilege. I guess I'm an idiot. That's what I really thought. So I think yes.
0: Jules, I want to double-check on that. You may be right in the sense that if it's – but it but – it, I don't know. I might be confusing two other legal concepts, but I think it's up to their discretion if they believe it. Because we talked about it with James Holmes, right? If they believe it to be credible, they have the option to say something to the authorities. But I can't remember the exact wording.
1: Maybe we mentioned it has to do with whether or not I'm going to kill my parents or I killed them already. Then it's too late.
0: That's a great point. We don't know if that changes anything. That could be the deciding factor, if anything. It already happened. It's a confession as opposed to a premonition. Jewel says yes. Lise, what do we think?
3: Sir me, I think this just brings me back to the James Holmes case again, where the therapist knew beforehand and maybe didn't do as much as I personally would have wanted her to do to alert the world that something was going on. But I understand there is this privilege for a reason. But it also makes you think that she seemingly did report to the Menendez's that they were thinking of something sinister and to be careful. Was that, or he, I don't, I don't remember which one it was at that point, but they let the Menendez's know that their kids were thinking that they were in danger, essentially. Which I do think is the one thing that they are allowed to do with patient-client privileges. If, if they believe someone is in, in imminent danger, you absolutely, I think you can break that privilege and say, hey, look, this is what they're saying. This is their plan. Again, I don't know that for 100% fact, but I'm pretty sure we looked it up for James Holmes. And that was essentially what it said. like If there was an actual threat to someone, but maybe, I mean, I'm not saying everybody who has these dark deviant thoughts we've talked about a million times on the show is going to go out and commit crimes. I'm not saying that every time someone confides in their therapist something dark or sinister or scary that they're... Therapist should break that confidentiality because that would ruin anyone ever telling someone, the therapist, what they're thinking and, and working through it. Because you think if you're telling a therapist, you're already in an environment where you're trying to help those thoughts or in some capacity. It, it draws a fine line, yes, but I do think it should be more considered when violence is on the table, whether that's confessing to a murder, saying you're planning a murder, saying you're thinking about killing somebody else. I think it should be something that the therapists think about and and really consider and go over. Because maybe these are things that could be prevented. And it's a scary thing. And I understand again, privacy and patient confidentiality, but I feel like there definitely is a line somewhere where this could be beneficial to everyone, right? Maybe it could afford the help to Lyle and Eric. Maybe it could have helped the Menendez's. You know, maybe it could help many other people. But I think the testimony of the therapist be brought in to trial. I don't know. That one's, it's sticky. It really is sticky. And again, I don't know what the laws are. I do think, though, the stuff that they said prior when it was brought to them and his parents attention should be brought in but I don't know if an illegally recorded confession should be I don't know I don't know I I try to see all the sides and I understand why it's really dangerous territory to allow this kind of stuff to be allowed as evidence especially again recorded without their knowledge but I'm like he confessed and that's the one place we have it Lock his ass up, who cares? Why do the laws apply to him for that if he's murdered someone viciously? But again, obviously, I know why it matters. I don't know. This one's hard for me. I I really don't know exactly how I feel because I agree with the laws that are in place to protect all of us with our free speech and confidentiality. But I see where this could really, really, really either help people prior or help put these people in jail. I don't know, Brandon. What are you thinking?
2: Honestly, uh, you two, per- Jules and Alisa, uh, put it pretty perfectly. I will say I'm definitely in the minority on this, but I'm just of the belief that you should really never break that agreement, the confidentiality agreement. As someone that's you know been in that situation and actively goes to therapy, which I do believe is beneficial for everyone, by the way, regardless of if you're you know mentally depressed or just like a normal person and get anxious, whatever. Highly, highly recommend it improves your quality. But, but anyway, I just think that there's the, the, you had mentioned the trust is just so important in that type of a relationship because you're basically telling a random person about your deepest, most inner thoughts that you don't share with anyone most of the time, not even the rest of your family. And I understand that if, that, you know, the situation could come up where, you know, if there, if there's impending, danger towards someone else or they're putting someone directly in harm's way. I do understand why, you know, they would feel inclined or have to go to the authorities or something like that. I just personally just lean on the side of the fence that you should never break the confidentiality agreement, but of course, all rules are meant to be broken and there are exceptions to everything. I think that that could be maybe the only exception where there's very clear evidence and the person is directly told you multiple times that they're going like, to do something heinous or something. I know that it's, it's tough, but I don't know.
1: I feel there needs to be some sort of line in the sand, right? If I confess to my therapist that I lied to my husband, that is not a reason to breach. But when you commit murder, you kind of lose your rights in that regard. I think, sorry, I don't, I don't know. You know. Right? There's a line.
2: No, that's a good point. I do think now, I think you bring up a good point because you, you said something very crucial there and I think everyone should pay attention to this. She said by committing that crime, that person no longer has the right. I think that that's something I actually did not consider and that you two have actually swayed me now because no, because now, but because once you've committed a crime, you technically should not have the right as some, as a normal law abiding citizens
1: as anyone else right
2: right Wait. wow that religion, that's immense
3: well i think that's legit i think lawyer the other side of that that gets tricky is how do you know for sure someone committed the crime i mean in this case obviously they confess and that's what we're talking about i think that's where it gets tricky is what if the person's innocent or what but i guess then they wouldn't have confessed to the murder to the therapist so never mind ignore me that made no sense i agree with everybody matt what are your feelings and thoughts and prayers
0: oh man i got a lot of them i personally i i'm inclined to agree in the sense that you should never really be able to break that privilege before there's been a crime committed it's something that should be confidential and sacred because i i think what nairo said is the perfect description you're literally telling somebody you're entrusting secrets to people you might have never told other people or to people you've only trusted for but
3: secrets and a murder confession I still are a little bit different.
0: Well that that's what I mean. I mean in in the sense of prior to a murder. versus an ongoing case as well i'm thinking about it as what if someone came in there and said i committed a murder 30 years ago
3: well in those cases i don't think that they would say anything
0: should the doctor be able to turn around and say hey look they gave me the time the place the location i got it all man i didn't tape it but i have it all right here laid out for can the cops then turn around and go arrest that person because they already committed the crime 30 years ago or is I think
1: daughter- depending on the statute of limitations, think right. about a victim's family who spent 30 years not knowing what happened to their son, daughter, husband, wife. Right.
0: Would, yeah,
1: turn them no. in, motherfucker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ah. They, it, but, but it is the question of could that then, I mean, I think any good defense attorney would argue that that invalidates the whole process of confidentiality. You could literally turn around and after the fact be, like, hey, you know what? fuck what i agreed to before i'm gonna i'm gonna tell anybody and their mother what i just heard from you if it's the cops if it's my girlfriend you
3: know. what's the punishment for breaking that you lose your job is that it or would you go to jail
0: i don't know if there's any penal system because
3: that- it's really just like an honor code the priests are priests told to this
0: Priests are held the same thing. Yeah. Priests, doctors. a priest uh, have to say if parents,
3: someone says I'm going
0: to go kill my family. The confidentiality. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it boils down to discretion. It's case by case. If you feel that you should tell somebody because it saves lives, potentially that's their burden of, and, and it'd be interesting to have because there's a spousal privilege. If you're within a marriage, there's confidentiality that cannot be broken. Communications between a husband and wife cannot be divulged. And then there's, I believe it's called spiritual advisor or counsel religious counselor, whatever the term is that they use the legal term. And then the last one is doctor patient privilege and attorney client privilege is, Of course, the the big one that comes up in the legal statutes and but Th- those privileges, I think you you almost have to hold them in high regard. And it's hard to say it's a case-by-case basis because we're looking at this from saying this was happening as the trial was playing out over two years. We're waiting for you know a year's worth of exchange communication, whether it was taped or not, to be delved into and investigated and seen if any of it was even relevant. But then you come to the point where it's like, oh shit. He actually confessed on tape here. He literally said it out loud. We killed our parents.
3: I think that's an important distinction to make, though. We're not debating on people whose innocence or guilt we're questioning. We know these two committed the murder. Not only have they confessed to it on this tape, but they've bragged about it. It makes total sense with the evidence. This isn't us saying, if you say to your therapist, I may or may not have killed my parents or something. We're saying this is a hard and true confession and it matched the evidence. It wasn't some speculative situation. I think that's important.
0: You're right, Lisa. I agree. And, and, and in this case, though, you're right. That's why I made note of that saying this is something where it's the most damning piece of evidence there is. If you have a taped confession from somebody saying, yes, that's my voice. Yes, I said I did that. Why? Why should we not believe that? You said it. It's that above all things is you did it. You're fucked. In a trial by jury or by judge, how should I not believe your taped confession? In, in that sense, it's also, think of this one, it adds up. Think about cases where people have literally been called in for questioning and have confessed to murder. Chris Watts, it added up, but it took him a few days to actually confess to it. And he did confess on tape. There's certain cases where it's, they didn't know for sure until they confessed on tape. This case, it started to point in the right direction. I mean, these guys were blowing through money. It was, you know, Christmas Eve in Cabo and they were just having a good time. Meanwhile, anyway, your parents just got murdered, dude. Not to mention the fact that they were blowing through their money. Doesn't seem, they really seem to give a shit that their parents were dead. That's a factor you have to weigh in as well, right? In this case... It, it made sense. All right. Again, great, great dialogue. I, I And I'd love for people to weigh in on that. Please. A- anybody who sees a therapist, anybody who's thought about going to therapy, weigh in. Tell me what you think or tell us what you think, I should say. Where do you position yourself on that? Would you rather if you heard your therapist was talking to a killer, would you rather know, hey, they're going to turn them in? Or do you think that because you've been to a therapist, you wouldn't want your tape confessions being given out to the public. A very interesting crux of this case. Another one that I think we really have to touch on, how do we feel about the media being heavily involved in trials to the point of even allowing cameras in a courtroom? And do we think there's any such thing as a truly unbiased jury? And I love that addition. Thank you, Lisa.
3: I think there's a reason the media has The the world has coined it trial by media, or is is that what it's called? Trial by media. I think, yeah, our world is quick to throw the word guilty on someone, especially because of the media, but in the same breath, I am a true crime junkie here, right? I like to know what's going on. I want the media in there and reporting back to me. But there's bias in all media. And I think it doesn't help the person on trial at all. For example, again, the Natalie Bollinger case, calling all websites, that episode we did. If you've listened to it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't pause this real quick, Go take a listen to that episode. Come right back or listen to it right after this because you're about to hear some major spoilers. But basically, this all played out on social media. It was real time. People are posting that this girl was missing, wondering what happened. And there was a homeless man who had an obsession with her or a quote unquote obsession with her. That's what was being reported. And they essentially a mob of people. Well, the whole world essentially decided that this homeless man had to have been guilty. He was obsessed with the girl that's missing. He had to have been involved. There was something to the point where people literally, a mob, picked this man up and threw him off a bridge. He survived. And he did have some definitely concerning posts about the situation that would have raised some flags, rightfully so. But the world decided this man was guilty. Spoiler alert, he wasn't. He wasn't even close to being guilty of the crime. And I think that's where it can become really harmful or in the Luca Magnata case, on the other side of this, they helped solve the crime. If you watch Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix, which is a very sad documentary. It's so bad. And we've covered Luca Magnata's case on here, which we should do an update episode because his mom's publisher sent us the book that she wrote. That was just a whole fucking whirlwind. Yeah. Uh, I- don't fuck with cats. It was a crazy book, but anyways, same thing though. That same thing happened. It can be a blessing and it can be a curse, and it's really really hard to mitigate that and and make that one way or another. Right? It's hard to say it's good or it's bad because I think it's heavily both. I think there are really really good parts about social media. Like Gabby Petito, the way she, her body was found was because a YouTube couple was filming and saw her van on the side of the road and recognized from the media coverage. This was the van that they were driving. Right behind that van, a couple feet, was her body. Would they have found that in all these vast national parks without that? Probably not. And they even recognize that. But then we have people in Natalie Bollinger's case where people try to take the law into their own hands and really step in and mess it all up. And then as far as the unbiased jury, I personally do not believe that there is such thing as unbiased jury, not in this world, uh, not in this country at least because because of the media presence. I'm very curious to hear what you three think about both of those questions.
1: I think in 2022, I mean, there's no way to have an unbiased jury. Oh, Lisa, you said something about people in the media taking justice into their own hands. But when you think about it, in this particular case, that's exactly what Eric and Lyle did. They took out their frustration their abuse their trauma by literally killing their parents i agree with all of the points you've made the media can be very harmful and very helpful but i just don't think we can do much to avoid it
2: i agree with lisa and jules i'm not a true crime junkie i think the rest of the hosts are for sure but i do think it's really interesting it's definitely good entertainment value especially a case like this where You know, everyone seems to be obsessed with Hollywood for some stupid reason throughout the country, for better or for worse. I feel covering court cases or arraignments or just kind of showing arrests and stuff on TV, I think it's obviously always going to be intriguing. And I think that, you know, especially with the constant news cycle now, it could get a bit much maybe at times, but I think overall it's a good thing. Well said.
0: I agree with all three of you. I honestly have very little to add except to say that I agree with all three of you. And I think in some outlets, media is a great place to find information. And especially now that we live in a 24 seven news cycle, I think people are a lot more educated, but I also think people are a lot more distracted. That's my only contention, but I will say that that is a fair trade-off and open for another debate at another time. But I agree with everything you said, positives and negatives to the media, to having such instant access that we have now. Question four. Eric and Lyle, they weren't immediately considered suspects based on their reactions and genuine concern at the crime scene. I mean, they were supposedly, and I didn't really detail it too much, but supposedly they were distraught at the crime scene and, uh, and sobbing on the front lawn, screaming, having a horrible breakdown when the police showed up it, in the moment. We're not considered suspects. You'd almost wonder why didn't the police talk to these fucking guys? They were there, but they found the bodies. They didn't be like, you know, where were you guys tonight? They didn't try and verify. They were at the food tasting festival in Santa Monica. You know, they went to see Batman. It seems like they kind of just let them get off on their story. But do you guys think they were actually sociopaths?
1: Without having a full understanding of what sort of abuse they endured, I don't think it's fair to say they were sociopaths. I feel that they had a lot of built-up rage and they just finally acted on it. But going back to Lisa's point, you're not a teenager or a preteen. You're a fully grown-ass adult. Just don't go home. I don't know. I still don't think I'd call them sociopaths, but I do think they have a lot of issues. But I think without knowing the extent of their abuse, we can't really say much
3: more on that. That's at least my take. Yeah. I agree. 1,087%. Thanks, Lise.
2: I'm on the fence. Part of me, I mean, obviously murdering someone in the way that they were kind of described in testimonies leans toward sociopathic behavior, I would say. There's like differing levels of sociopaths too. It was a very broad term. They could very well be considered a sociopath, but it could be at the very beginning of that spectrum, the middle, the end, and so forth. At the same time, I mean, if they were abused, then they weren't necessarily born into that way of thinking. They were influenced that way, and they developed their personalities based on the way that they were treated by their parents. Lisa and, and Jules said as well, they're full-grown adults. They have to have some sort of culpability or responsibility for what they do. On one hand, I think it could go either way. I'm kind of on the fence, but I would lean more towards they're on a lower level, the spectrum for sociopaths.
0: Put me down for 10.88% on everything you guys just said. Jules, especially... I love you have to bring up the fact that if they were abused, and we may not know the extent of it, gotta mention that in their psychological makeup, right? But Nairo, I agree with you as well. They're somewhere on the spectrum to me. They show sociopathic tendencies. Their own mother <laughs> asked about it. They do have some type of weird, I don't want to call it self-absorption, narcissism almost, but from what it sounds like, it's borderline. And that's a big tendency of sociopaths is one of the leading indicators and their ability to think that they could get away with it is the other thing that kind of makes me think that they would they literally staged the crime scene to look like when they got here we have to be totally shaken up broken up we just found our parents dead we don't know what the hell happened meanwhile it's like no you shot them Literally.
2: That's a fantastic point. They orchestrated the whole thing.
0: Exactly. And that's what makes me wonder about their level of deception. Because sociopaths are really defined by their ability to manipulate other people. I think. At least that's what... I agree. You know? and, And in whatever sense they do it, to me, these guys were... Are masterful at it i mean they've got women who wanted to marry them and they're in jail they killed their parents and they probably told them that we didn't do it you know we we lied you know we told them whatever they wanted to hear so we could get out of it
2: sociopaths are known to be like very meticulous as well yeah when you look at
0: someone's background you have to figure that that's where their psychological makeup really comes from right they're abuse or whatever they might have experienced leading up until that is definitely definitely something we have to weigh in on and say you know that could be a reason to mitigate that we said with their their conviction you know same thing that could be a reason to say that they're not sociopaths they were just really fucked up guys who spent their whole lives being abused and finally just snapped one day my last Question: Before we get to the uh, the real, you know, coup d'état, the piece de résistance, Doctor Burgess's testimony, I think that was fascinating. Personally, that might be the coolest thing about the trial itself is her description of the crime scene to figure out how to eliminate suspects. Her testimony about the nature of the crime scene to eliminate suspects and have people see disorganized versus mixed versus organized crime scenes as a way to indicate who might be responsible. How do we feel about it, guys? Do you believe that that science is viable?
1: Yeah, I watched too many seasons of Dexter. I I think (laughs) you can get a lot, too many, unfortunately. I think you can get a lot of information from a crime scene,
3: you know, enough to be able to have a really solid profile. I agree as well. I am fascinated by forensics, the amount of stuff they can get just from a single crime scene. And by stuff, I mean countless bits of information.
2: I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty uneducated on that type of a topic. I'm sure what all of you said is way more accurate and holds a lot more weight than what I would say. (laughs) But as far as a crime scene being a certain way, I don't know if that's grounds for completely eliminate a suspect because I feel there's been plenty of cases in history where there have been very clean crime scenes and it, it was someone that was completely unrelated or not near there or whatever it it shouldn't be that crime scene is one part of the puzzle but it's not the entire thing that's kind of what I would say I don't think it's grounds for the dismissal of the suspect or something but once again I'm really not as educated on that as some other aspects of this case to be honest Nairo, I appreciate
0: that insight. And actually, it brings up another great point that I was actually thinking about. It ties at this as well. Another L.A. case, right? The Night Stalker, a case we have not done yet, Richard Ramirez. Ramirez was known for breaking into random houses in the middle of the night. During L.A. blackouts or just during a random evening in the middle of the night, he would just fit, find a random house that looked dark, find a way in, and do whatever he want to do, he raped a few people, he killed a few people, he was really sick motherfucker, he kidnapped a girl at one point, those would have been classified, I would say, as, based on the definition that I read, almost disorganized crime scenes with an organized killer, if that makes sense. He didn't take time to do anything crazy, he didn't plan anything too ornate, too intricate as far as the crime scene itself. He was in, he was out, he did what he had to do while he was there, and then he left. But they couldn't find the guy because he was just choosing people at random. And that's rare. You know, I mean, there's always a a type or a victimology or a pattern of killing and something that ties killers in like that. But honestly, Ramirez was one of those people who was, we don't know why. He was a satanic worshiper. He was a drug addict. He was... Looney, if you ever hear the guy there's some really interesting stories about him but that kind of changed my mind about this a little bit because i absolutely agree with lisa and jules this is 100 the best advancement in science as far as criminal justice goes in the last 100 years is how much crime scene technology and investigation has advanced We're able to rule people out now based on DNA, on crimes they were convicted of upwards of 40 to 50 years ago. And we're able to see things through a microscope that otherwise couldn't be seen or the naked eye cannot determine the important from the unimportant. In this case, had it been a professional hit squad, maybe they just got through the gate, knocked on the door, and had a gun in his face. They closed the door, locked the door. Down on your hands and knees and a professional is, you know, they can make it look however they want.
3: What to we're me, hearing it's... now is Matt is part of the Free the Menendez Bros Potential. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am not, Lisa. I We'll get to the eye for an eye in a moment. But what I am saying is I don't think you can rule anything out strictly based on criminal or I should say crime scene investigations and criminal history. There are so many other mitigating factors. But it's the most important thing as far as investigating crimes that has advanced in the last hundred years, I think, personally. And that's another thing I'd love people to weigh in on that. How do we feel about Dr. Burgess's testimony? That was one of the really damning pieces of evidence was her testimony that it was somebody within the premises of the house. They knew their way around the house. They knew the family. They knew where Jose and Kitty would be sleeping on the couch, things of that nature. I don't know. It's it's definitely a very interesting. Very interesting science, though, I'll say that. Let's get to it. What do we think, guys? Eye for an eye is a life sentence without the possibility of parole. A fair sentence for Eric and Lyle Menendez.
2: They killed their parents, plain and simple, plenty of evidence. Yes, there may have been history of abuse there, but at the end of the day, they were adults. They have to be responsible for their actions. They're getting exactly what they deserve, basically. It's technically better than getting the death penalty. I mean, I know they're in California, but you know what I mean? Just in general, I think it's just better getting the death penalty.
0: Yes, the death penalty is no longer imposed in California. That's a great point. This is the hardest sentence they could receive.
2: Right. They definitely got what they deserved. I mean, and... Clearly, it doesn't seem to bother them that much. They're both married and doing fine. And now they're popular again.
1: Next, they'll be on prison TikTok. No, I tend to agree, regardless of what happened, there's culpability, there's accountability, there's other abilities. Just, I don't know. (laughs) Like, there's... (laughs) There's other abilities. There's other abilities. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Little
3: abilities. You just... Yeah. (laughs) Wiser words have never been spoken, Jules.
2: There's a lot of (laughs) abilities.
3: Lots (laughs) of abilities.
0: They have to own up with their abilities.
3: Lots of abilities. Like (laughs) a t-shirt, lots of abilities. Yeah. Lots of abilities. Lots of abilities. (laughs) And you have to say it in an accent. Lots of abilities. A nice draw.
1: Okay, I'm losing my I'm losing it.
0: (laughs) My culpabilities. my reasonabilities, I'm in trouble.
3: (laughs) I agree with both y'all. Both y'all made some good points. I think we've touched on this. A lot of people are abused. Unfortunately, it's a very sad and real issue in our country and all over the world. It's just a very sad situation across the board. But we've said, I think it would be different had they killed their parents in the act, right? I mean, I know they were younger, possibly when this abuse took place. But I don't know. I, I agree. I think, yeah, Ifer and I was met. I think these two lived a really fucking nice life, sounds the abuse, outside of prison for their however many years before they actually were put in jail. They spent $700,000 in, what, a couple weeks? So, uh, you know, they lived a pretty nice life prior. I think they can do the rest of it behind bars with their little wives. Yeah, I think Ifer and I was met. I, understand the idea, kind of, not really, but kind of behind the petitions and all of the people who think they should be let out. But I think that takes away from a lot of the circumstances of this case. And my dog has a lot of thoughts too. Oh, not Tell what you think? She agrees. Oh, well, she's angry. The Menendez brothers just make her sad, and sad. Listen to her, she's rioting, she's pissed.
0: These fuckers killed their parents. I loved Naira's <laughs> conviction. I loved Jules' abilities, no. and I loved Lisa's empathization with the fact that they were probably abused as well, but we got to consider the fact that yes, I'm just as convinced that these guys murdered their parents. Dr. Burgess' testimony for me was really that seals it. I don't think you can rule it out based on that, but I think in this case, it makes so much sense. It all fits. The-
1: I think you have a crush.
0: I, you know what, I don't even know what she looks like, but if she's still <laughs> out here, yeah, I really, even if we just grab lunch and talk about your theory. Just, you know?
2: just add her to the long list of crushes, man. <laughs> yeah,
0: man, the list grows every day. Um, wow. Buy her a nice seafood dinner and then never call her again. No, I do absolutely believe that with you murder your parents, that's despicable. That's top five worst things Thanks do. Unless your parents are real shitbags, and even in that case, you still should murder them. You should just, you know, move away. They're adults. You said, literally, if you had some money, bro, just go fucking move back to New Jersey. That's literally the other side of it. Well, you
2: answered your own thing there. You said if they have some money, move. They had unlimited money.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, they had money. They had no reason to be there if they didn't want to be. And then they were just like, oh.
3: Well, maybe their money was drying up because it was their parents' money, not their money. Let Go that. live above your wing restaurant and then
1: you can work and then you can sl- like live and you earn your income. And I mean, even if they got, dream. Out there and got a fucking
0: job, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> even if they like have, even their parents they were like, yo, I have to work, but at least I'm not getting abused by my fucking annoying dad. I totally believe that they killed their parents because to me, there's so much evidence. I wish the police had just, questioned them that night and tested their clothes for gunshot residue, they probably would have lit up like the 4th of fucking July. I cannot imagine that these dudes didn't reek of gunpowder. Dude, you guys know how many 12 shots is? That's a lot of fucking, like, you gotta reload. That's that's double digits, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, bro, that's a lot. I mean, that's overkill to the extreme. That's another thing for me. It seems this was personal. I absolutely believe they murked their parents.
3: The rage.
0: Rage. And I think they to spend their lives in prison with their fan club.
3: I'm I'm surprised, Matt, that you didn't say you wanted to take them out back, put a bullet in one head, and then dig it out of the one, and then stick it in the others. I'm actually surprised that that wasn't your answer.
0: It's not an option in California, at least. Yeah, but (laughs)
3: it's true.
0: I mean, we got to go by the legal
3: statutes.
0: (laughs) You know, maybe, maybe it makes sense if we really wanted it to be an eye for an eye in this case. 12 shots, man. I mean, load up the choppers. December 31st, like we said, man. Like, pull up. Naira's just shaking his head at me now. That's three that I've gaffed on.
2: (sighs) Yeah. Honestly, the two before that wasn't as bad as the other two.
3: Oh my God, I hate you guys. Okay, well, this was a fucking fantastic.
2: We talked for a freeze. three I Fuck, I I basically just spent the last three hours of my work day just talking about random shit. It's pretty sweet. Bang, bang on the drums. All right. I'm hungry.
3: No, you have to close it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just closing. He's more
1: he, mid case and massive. I gotta go. I'm hungry. <laughs>
3: Seriously though, what a great convo. And Nairo, you've added so much to this episode.
0: It has gotten late. We have been discussing this case now for north of three hours, it seems. And I'm I'm ready to talk about something else, to be honest. This has been fascinating. No, I'm really I appreciate <laughs> Nairo. You honestly killed it today, man. Thank you again for coming on and joining us. You are welcome back whenever. Please.
2: Thank you all so much for having me. It was really an honor to be on here. It was really fun, too. Definitely want to come back on future episodes and and shoot the shit, but this is this has been great.
3: And tell people it's not scary, because people are nervous to host with us.
2: It's not scary. If you're a natural talker, I've been told, and I'm sure Matt has been told many times in his life.
0: <laughs> um, I've heard it once or twice.
2: Then, yeah, it's really not an issue. It's just, I mean, obviously these are three of my really good friends. Just a nice conversation to hang. It's not, if you're intimidating, don't be. Just, you know, take the lead. These are three very easy people to talk to. I will.
3: Let us know what you guys think. Did the punishment at the crime, do you think these two should be in jail or do you think this is really truly a case of two brothers who were abused and, and just snapped? And do you think that that makes sense for them to not have the sentence that they have? If, if that is enough to keep them out of jail or should have them be freed from jail? Um, I don't know what the fuck I was doing with that. But yeah, love everybody so much.
0: I mean, honestly, ask yourselves, would you rather date the Menendez brothers in jail or go on a date with Nairo or I? You know, tune in next week for Love Island in Paradise. Tune in next week for Love Island in Paradise.
2: Here for it. It seems like the answer is very clear. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're going to have the first ever podcast dating game show. We're going to have you two come on and have blind dates come on. You only get to hear their voices and you have to ask them questions. And that would be, they don't, I'm patenting it right now. Anyone listening, don't you take my idea. we doing it.
0: We're starting a podcast network simply off of Lisa's ideas,
3: <laughs> which are many. I have a
1: lot. <laughs> well, um, Cornelius, the cocktail,
3: cocktail, duck. cocktail doc, was, is a part of the podcast. Yes, he he's going to review some cocktails. But on that note, it is getting late. My room is now black because it is dark outside. We've been talking for a long time, but that means it was a good time. And I am so grateful for all of y'all. Jules, welcome back. Brandon, welcome to the Eye for Eye family. Matt, hi. Matt's got to go. He's hungry.
1: (laughs) He's hungry.
3: All right, guys well what we said earlier rate review subscribe tell your friends tell your family and check us out next monday and we'll be back with another riveting eye for an eye episode and we can't wait to chat with you over there good night everybody hello